So in this episode today, we stick with the theme of alternative investment classes, and I'm joined by Kate Dugan and uh, Sohan Singh, who are both from Investec Wealth and Investments. And we unpack how to incorporate private equity into your investment portfolio and how to invest in this asset class sensibly. Kate is an investment manager with extensive experience in wealth management in the United Kingdom, uh, having previously worked for a hedge fund in London and a wealth manager in Liverpool before returning to South Africa to work at Investec. She's a mother of one, and uh, before uh, her arrival of her baby, she enjoyed off-road and camping trips all over Southern Africa, riding motorbikes through Morocco and Portugal, but is now a year and a half into her new role as a mother. And at the moment, her main hobby is being chief snack maker for her son. Sohan joined Investec Wealth and Investment in 2012 and is currently a wealth manager. Uh, He works on developing solutions for high net worth individuals and ultra high net worth clients, uh, being fully au fait with uh, offshore and local investment opportunities. Sohan is married and enjoys traveling and spending time with his family and friends and enjoying a good whiskey. And uh, he's also recently taken up paddle and enjoys a weekly game. Sohan and Kate, um, uh, welcome to the pair of you. And I guess as we go into our discussion, I want to start off with you, Kate. When people talk about private equity or PE, uh, what are we talking about? It, it can be tricky. So essentially what we're talking about is investment into a business and that business is privately held. So not listed on a public stock exchange. The investment that uh, goes into the company is then used by that company to essentially get better, be it funding new technology, creating new products, Uh, making acquisitions or otherwise expanding or improving their business. So the route uh, for most investors into private equity uh, will be via investment in a private equity fund that will hold multiple of these businesses. This fund will be managed by a private equity firm of individuals and they'll have influence over the management and other sort of big decision-making options within these companies. And that's really one of the main tools that they'll use to to steer these companies through performance improvement of any sort. And they will either turn around a distressed company that wasn't performing very well um, or improve a company which has been, you know, badly managed or under-managed or undervalued. And the ultimate aim is to increase the business's value and eventually sell each company that they've worked with uh, for a profit, which is obviously beneficial for the company that's gone through the process, the private equity firm, as well as the investors that provided the initial capital. Um, And that sort of sale is, is most likely done through an initial public offering. So, you know, offering on a stock exchange, which we all know, or sale to another sort of public company. Mm. From an investor perspective, I mean, what would distinguish private equity from listed equity, be it from a risk perspective or even, I guess, the time horizon to, you know, realizable returns? So the big thing there, you know, the big buzzwords there are public and private. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know. The big differences between private equity investing and public equity investing or investing on the stock exchange, which is public, are are sort of the main points are kind of liquidity. So how accessible is your investment? The pricing control, you know, how often are these two um, options priced? Um, 
and, and the, the measurement or, or how they go about pricing them, the governance and the performance measurement. So it can get pretty technical, but the main difference for most investors to know about is liquidity, and it's, it's a biggie. You know, listed equity are generally able to be sold in the market at their current fair value. Um, public equity, I mean, private equity, are generally not as liquid, and essentially they usually have a primary term or a life by which you have to stick to. And that's because they're going through this huge change, which we'll chat about later. But that primary term can be five years, seven years, sometimes even 10 years to see that change. Um, and so patience is really key there. And whereas you can buy a stock on a public exchange and sell it a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, if you wanted to, with private equity, your capital is only really returned to you upon the realization of the investment, which is the sale of the underlying company. Um, and that really is at the fund manager's discretion um, because they need to search for a buyer for those companies. The last point I had to make is, is other than liquidity, it's pricing. So, you know, you've got your public stocks that we all know about priced every day in the market. Anybody can click on Bloomberg on their phone and, and get up to up-to-date price for what they're looking at. Um, whereas private equity you got to be a little bit more patient and you're probably only going to find their value sort of every quarter, if not less than that. Um, so there's a big difference there. And I'd say, you know, each carries risks and you can get sort of quite philosophical on, on which is riskier, but based on those, you know, illiquidity and, and pricing, I'd say that private equity tends to rank a lot higher in terms of risk than the public equity that we all know. Yeah. And I guess, so. let me bring you in here because I think the points that uh, Kate is making will have uh, an implication on the type of information asymmetries there might be between an investor on the one hand and the firm in question. Um, so even the issues around pricing, the issues around governance, the issues around the kind of yield one might expect for taking such a big risk, all of those things mean you kind of have to do a lot of your homework up front. Um, talk to me about, I guess, what kind of due diligence goes into a private equity investment? And, and more importantly, I guess, what might distinguish that from an investment maybe in a public, publicly held company where certain information about that company is public and available, um, you know, to the entire investor universe? Thanks, Ayobonga. And, and, you know, those, as you mentioned, those points that, that Kate's raised is the, the reason why it is so important to partner with experts in the industry. So if we had to look at a listed company, You've got hundreds of analysts looking at those financials, doing their homework on it. Everything is readily available. It's um, all published to market. Whereas with these unlisted businesses, you don't have that same level of information. You don't have um, a whole horde of analysts um, you know, dig digging through the financials. And then it requires the private... So, for example, if you invested into a private equity fund, it would require the analysts of that fund or that management team to actually get on the ground um, and go look at these businesses, see what they're doing on a day-to-day -day operations basis, see what their strategies are, look at their financials. And it, it involves a lot more in-depth work and a lot more due diligence work um, behind the scenes. And, and that's often why it takes a longer time period before any private equity funds makes these investments because of the, the lengthy due diligence process that is involved. 
And and I mean, after that due diligence process, I understand there's quite a few strategies that sort of when thought of together constitute, um, you know, private equity. We, We often always seen in the sort of popular culture, the story of the leverage buyouts and uh, all of that. Uh, but it seems there's quite a bit more uh, under the bonnet of private equity than, than maybe just leverage buyouts. Talk to us about some of the other strategies. Sure. And, and I think that the best way to, to explain the different strategies is looking at it in terms of the company lifecycle. So if we look at a startup company, very early stages, this probably falls out of the private equity spectrum, but just for the sake of this conversation, I want to take you through the, the whole spectrum. And, and they, they say that, um, you know, in the, in the very beginning when these businesses start, that stage of funding, we'd call it FFF, which stands for Friends, Family and Fools. Uh, and essentially, you end up going out to anyone in the market who will, lend, who will lend you money or give you money to to start a business. So that is really, really early stage where you've just got an idea. You then go on to sort of angel investing, which is still sort of one step below the private equity spectrum that we're talking about today, but is essentially a, a form of private equity. And that's still very early stage, uh, early stage in the in the life cycle of a company. You know, in terms of the three main types of private equity strategies, I would class them as venture capital, growth equity, and buyouts. So after your early stage investments, um, so somewhere between early and your growth phase is where the venture, venture capital uh, strategy comes into play. And this is, like I said, very early on after the business has exhausted all its other sources of funding, it then looks to the market for equity partners. And I think what's very important in the venture capital side of things is venture capital partners that actually add value to the investments that they make. So not not a fund or venture capital fund that merely just buys buys the buys a stake in, in, in a business, and it's generally a minority stake in, in the venture capital stage. Uh, you want a venture capital partner that actually adds value in terms of efficiency, growth, strategy to building that underlying business. Then we move on to, to growth equity. Growth equity sits somewhere between venture capital and, and buyout. So it's, a, it's um, a more of an established business, but a business that's gone to got into a point where they really need additional funding to, to grow. And um, once again, this is probably not a majority stake uh, in, in the business, um, but it is, um, once again, here it is quite important for, for your private equity partner to, to add value. And I think that's a consistent theme. Um, and, and I'm going to go back to the point around partnering with experts. So if you had to invest in a private equity fund, you want a fund that has expertise and that can assist these underlying investee companies in, in leveraging their, their businesses. The, the, the third private equity strategy that I'm going to mention is the buyout strategy. And this is the most mature business that you that you buy. And this is, let's call it, one step before listing on an exchange or an IPO. So often the exit from a, buy, from a buyout strategy is to list the business on, a, on an exchange. Sometimes it's bought by another private equity business. But essentially this is where a company or a fund takes a majority stake in, in a private equity business. And the strategy there is for the private equity company to actually have control and be in the driving seat of that business from a strategic perspective and a growth perspective. Mm, mm. 
Kate, let me bring you back in into our discussion. And, and so, Han, thank you very much for that description, I guess, of the different strategies or, or that sort of typology of the different strategies one might find. Uh, I think many people listening to us, Kate, would be interested in sort of where this very high risk, high yield potential, you know, uh, asset class might fit into a diversified portfolio uh, at different sort of life stages of uh, any investor and uh, different risk appetites. Uh, talk to us about that. For sure. So I know the listeners should be um, now, based on the previous episodes, a fair with asset allocation and the different asset classes of a portfolio. So if we talk about asset allocation of a portfolio, equities, fixed income, cash, property, etc., private equity sort of slots nicely into the asset class known as alternatives. So when you're talking about a portfolio managed for an individual, the size of the allocation to alternatives as an asset class is driven by a lot of factors which will be bespoke for that particular individual and their needs. But typically, if we look um, across our sort of own global investment strategy groups, best recommendation as to, as to the different asset class allocations, this should be between sort of 10, maybe even five in the case of private equity. But let's say alternatives between 10 to 20% of your total portfolio and the size of the allocation within that to private equity will be you know, constrained by a lot of the factors we've already talked about, the main one being liquidity concerns, but the allocation should be well within that band of sort of 5 to 20% for most investors, um, being the concerns that we raised earlier, like the pricing and the, Ill- and the illiquidity. Yeah, so not the kind of thing you want to take into retirement, right? I mean, where your liquidity preference is much higher than say, if you were a bit younger and you're still in the job and getting a salary and putting some money away? Sure. Although saying that, one of the main investors in private equity um, as a sector will be pension funds. So again, it, it does fall back to Sahan's point of, you know, partnering with a proper, proper partner who knows what they're doing because, you know, we can get into it, but within private equity, due diligence doing your homework, that's got to be key. And so it is It is um, applicable to a lot of different investors, depending on your timeline, depending on your liquidity needs. But I'd say if you really want to do your homework, it's best to go with you know a proper partner. And whether that is a discretionary investment manager um, or, or any other route, the point is, doing your due diligence and making sure it's suitable for you as an investor is just, it's, it's key. Yeah, I think a lot of us listening to this discussion would probably have exposure to private equity via institutional funds, and you've mentioned the pension funds, and there would be many other institutional vehicles. But there's also people with very deep pockets who, I guess, would go into these in their own right um, or in the right of their own families and so on, um, and some sophisticated investors as well. For sure. So, I mean, historically, if we look at private equity, you know, it was really reserved for the institutional investors and the sort of ultra high net worth individuals um, who could dedicate substantial sums of money for extended period of time. So what hasn't changed is the level of patience that you need. So private equity, you know, as we'll talk about, is uh, it follows a long timeline and patience is key. But the asset class is becoming more accessible to individual investors through different 
mechanisms. One of them is the listing of private equity firms on the stock exchange. Others are, you know, multiple companies being held within private equity funds, which are, you know, dropping their minimums and and therefore becoming more accessible. Mm. So the asset class itself can offer really compelling returns, and that's what makes it attractive to all investors. We all want higher returns, but the point is that it's, you know, higher returns, it can carry higher risk, not at least being the illiquidity of the asset class itself. So it might not be suitable for everybody. Um, Mm. It can be incredibly complex. I mean, you've, you've heard Sahan go through the different mechanisms, all of which you know, can be incredibly um, difficult to understand for the average person. And so, again, given that it's so complex, it's it's a really good argument to make sure that you are going through a really good fund with a high-quality management team um, who are able to handle all of that necessary due diligence and governments and operational decisions that, you know, come along with investing in private equity, which most investors, I'd say, probably not interested in doing themselves. Um, but, you know, whoever you are as an investor and, and you're looking at private equity, yeah, manager selection, quality due diligence are both sort of the essential elements that you need to look at. Um, and and you can sort of bypass a lot of those decisions by doing your homework on, on what is a quality fund. Yeah, yeah. So, so Han, let me bring you back in here, and I and I maybe want to piggyback just on on the point that Kate had made and get some of your reflections before we get into sort of the different stages in a private equity fund's sort of development. But uh, this whole point around private equity becoming a lot more accessible now. I mean, um, I guess there's an upside to that because there's exposure, you know, of um, even retail investors to a high risk, high yield asset class. But uh, one would think there's also some downsides as well, Sohan. Um, maybe just your reflections on that uh, before we get into, I guess, the different stages from raising funds, asset allocation, and then, of course, you know, the long gestation period sometimes associated with these investments. But just on the accessibility issue first. Yeah, I think from from the increased accessibility overall, my view is is that it is a positive one. So we are getting further flows in into the into the sector. Um, one of the one of the biggest things that um, I believe could happen, and I'd like to see happen, is sort of fee compression within the private equity space. So traditionally, private equity or private equity fund managers haven't necessarily charged the cheapest of fees but once again it's because of the enhanced due diligence so you do have to have teams on the ground doing this enhanced due diligence but as we get more flows in into the into these funds i think over time we may see um, fees in the private equity sector come down so i think that's mm-hmm. that is uh, a positive another positive is you know giving opportunities to people that haven't previously had those opportunities to to earn these enhanced returns i think the, the one negative for me, the one negative that we really need to be careful of is we must always remember that this is a high-risk investment. And while it may be available to more people, it shouldn't. It not everyone should invest in a in a private equity investment. And I think Kate did allude to to the fact that you know if you require income from a portfolio, um, um, your asset allocation will look very very different. So someone that is in their retirement phase and requires to draw down on the portfolio probably shouldn't be investing in a private equity investment, even though they, they could. So I think private equity has generally been something that more sophisticated investors invest in. And 
you know, not if you don't understand the risks associated with a private equity investment uh, or the liquidity constraints of a private equity investment, it can be a very dangerous investment for you. Mm, mm. And, th- and then, Sohan, I guess there's an entire sort of set of stages associated in putting a fund of this kind together. I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot on the investment side of things, but, you know, let's place our shoes, I guess, let's place ourselves in the shoes of somebody who might want to set up a private equity fund just for a second. There's quite a bit that goes into it. I mean, we spoke about the due diligence part, uh, which is a critical phase in the raising of the capital. But then, of course, at a fund level, there's then the capital allocation decisions. There's then, you know, the volatility of the returns phase. And then hopefully there's a phase where people get to cash in on their investment. Talk to us about that. Sure. And, and I think that the best way um, for, for me to take you through this let's call it the journey of your private equity investment. Um, and, you know, for the purposes of this example, I'll assume that you are invested in a private equity fund and the management's done by a private equity partner. Um, and uh, essentially, the first point of the journey is making the decision to to commit to a private equity fund. So you will then sign in a commitment agreement with, with the underlying fund manager. The capital isn't called on day one. And that's quite different to a listed fund or fund with with listed instruments where you put your money into the fund and it is invested on day one. Given the nature of private equity, the fund management team actually needs to go out there and source these deals. And there's often a lengthy negotiation process around price of of the underlying investments. Obviously, the private equity fund will try and negotiate down, but and and the seller wants to 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 get the get a bit of a bang for their back, so it it takes a period of time, and we then move into what we call the capital call stage of, of the of of the of the fund. And as these investments are identified, the private equity fund manager will then draw down on your commitment, and you will pay into the fund, and those those funds are then allocated to the underlying investments. What we generally see happening at that point in time is what we call the J curve where your investment may start going negative almost on, on day one. And the, and the reason for that is that some of these transactions are costly to put in place. So, you know, there are lawyers that would need to be involved. There are corporate finance individuals that, that are involved in, in concluding this transaction. And that does come at an expense. There's also management fees from, from the fund manager itself. Um, and that essentially gives you a scenario where the portfolio starts to go negative and as we start seeing the performance of the underlying investments coming through our private equity fund manager is you know creating some efficiencies within those companies if necessary creating management changes and really starting to leverage that business we then see that valuation tick upwards and it then makes that j curve pattern that uh, that that i talk about you know and, and as we go through this j curve period we, we will start seeing distributions from our private equity fund. So distributions or return of your capital or uh, profits not, don't necessarily come at the very end. So some funds have a five-year period, some funds have a 10-year period. It doesn't necessarily come all at the end. It comes out as and when um, there are distributions from the underlying companies, whether that's in the form of dividends or the private equity fund manager has sold out of a specific um, position. And you will then start to see distributions throughout the throughout the cycle of or life cycle of the fund. Um, and and once once the the fund is fully invested, the fund manager moves into what we call the harvesting phase, 
and this is essentially where they are looking to exit the underlying investments. What, what's, what's quite important, and it goes back to the, the point that Kate made earlier around valuation. So a, a private equity fund has a number of underlying businesses, as, as we know. Those businesses, while they're held in the fund, are essentially valued on paper. So the fund management team will look at the earnings and then put a multiple on it and have a valuation. It's a paper valuation. You, you want that valuation to be quite conservative. Um, and essentially, that valuation isn't really real until that business has been sold. And that also, that also adds to this J-curve effect because you want to conservatively value in paper. And once you exit that business, you're hoping to exit it at a multiple of your initial sure, investment. Sure, sure. Maybe then just, I guess, a last one uh, from the pair of you. And Kate, we'll start off with you and, and wrap up with uh, Sohan. I think Sohan's last point there is critical, which is, you know, uh, time is probably one of the key variables here. Uh, and often it's, it's, you know, people speak about the time value of money, the opportunity cost of putting money down um, into certain areas. And while you might conservatively, you know, value a company, um, your expectations of what you're going to get out of it must probably compensate you accordingly for all of the, you know, um, opportunity costs of putting your money behind such a high risk area. Just some parting reflections for or our listeners uh, who might be considering this as part of a broader diversified portfolio or even going into a private equity play in their own right. What would you have to say? Sure. I think like all aspects of investing, and, and maybe it's just for people like myself and Sahan, but it can be really exciting. And I think we often tend to forget that the main aspect of investing is you are lending capital that you've worked really hard for as an investor. You're lending it to companies to go create um, products or services that really, you know, should aim to make people's lives better in whatever aspect. And that can be really exciting to be part of um, products or services that change the world. And so private equity, I guess, uh, from a philosophical point of view, can capture the essence of that because you're getting in right, at, you know, near the start, in, you know, in terms of venture capital or you are helping turn a company around that has been pretty badly managed or is distressed. So it can be really exciting. It can be an, a really interesting process to follow as an investor, to follow the journey of those companies that you are lending your money to. But on the flip side of that, you've got to keep in mind the risk because it is risky um, to turn around a company or to create new technologies or products. You've got to have a lot of patience because it's not going to happen overnight. The best thing you can do is be a long-term investor in whatever asset class, particularly private equity. And then lastly, you know, I think we've, we've battered the drum on this quite a bit, but partnering with someone who is top-notch and is going to do that due diligence for you because that's really the crux of where it can fall or it can be a great investment. Yeah. So Han, you have the last word. Thanks, Sayubonga. Yeah, I think I think for me the, the most important thing is to to weigh up the risk and return factor. So if we look at the risk return element, this is a high risk uh, high risk investment. Um, so you expect a higher potential return, and the word potential here is very important, especially in this asset class. Is you are taking on a on, on a high amount of risk, but your your higher return is not guaranteed. 
and for, for taking on that high risk, you want a high potential return. You also want to be compens compensated for the lack of liquidity. And, and that, those are, are the key points from, from my side. Awesome stuff. Kate and Sohan, thank you to the pair of you for your time. Um, and uh, I certainly know I joined many of those who listen to this podcast in doing so as well. And uh, yeah, to you, the listener, don't forget to tune in to the next episode in this series. We will once again be in conversation with our experts from Investec Wealth and Investment. Till then, take care. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment International and should not be taken as advice, guidance, or recommendation. Investec Wealth and Investment International, a member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives, and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.